Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing Blue-Black X, Blue-Black Control in Dominaria United. First, the notes for this podcast are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes if you want to follow along. So that's available to uh, limited guru level and above patrons of the podcast. So now getting into the meat of this. Um, I kind of want to talk about my personal evolution in the format. I try to uh, make it possible for patrons to vote on what archetypes I'm going to be covering. And it's been difficult for me to make the transition in this format into uh, doing that because, as I've discussed previously, I think that this format really lends itself to kind of establishing a comfort zone and specializing in that comfort zone because there are so many different ways to approach things and the strength of cards is so contextual. If you experiment in a space that doesn't click intuitively for you, it's easy to have bad experiences with some cards and not want to play them. And when you have success, it's easy to identify which cards were working there and uh, gravitate toward iterating on that. And I'm not personally above that in any way. Uh, I believe that there are good aggressive decks in this format. I think in particular, uh, red-green domain has seemed promising, but I haven't figured out how, like, I don't know which cards I'm supposed to take when to get into that spot. And so I've personally been exploring with things that make sense to me and gravitating toward kind of the same cards that I typically prioritize. That said, I've had kind of a personal evolution that's taken, that's moved those decks through different eras almost in terms of uh, how I'm drafting. And so Talking about blue-black control is kind of an evolution of talking about kind of the like green-black decks. And so often I'll talk about uh, like the deck that I think is best early and then the other episodes might end up being just like, and here's some context on some other things that might happen and other stuff you can do. Whereas... Here, I think I am now preferring blue-black X to green-black X. And so I want to talk about like how that evolution happened and why and why I think these decks are strong and why I'm having success with them now. So I felt like I was in kind of a rut with uh, like the four and five color green decks. I was drafting them a lot and my win rate was fine, but felt like it could definitely be better. Like I was winning around 64% of the time, which is like about 1% lower than my lifetime win percentage and uh, maybe like 3% lower than my win percentage when I feel like I'm really clicking with a format. 
So I felt like there was something I was missing. And I realized that there aren't really that many green cards that I like. And a lot of them are uh, fixing. And if I just don't play green for fixing... And the other thing is my decks are really clunky. I had to play a lot of tapped lands and then spend my mana on green cards that would like find my other colors. And I was struggling against aggro decks that could punish me for being that slow. And I realized that I wanted to have more uh, interactive spells, um, more cheap removal encounters, and I felt like I could best accomplish that by uh, getting rid of green. So the other place that I'd experimented was in blue-red, and I felt like the threats there were kind of underpowered and needed a lot of like cantrip-style spell support, and the issue was that because the threats were weak if they weren't supported with spells, you wouldn't put your opponent on that great of a clock, and you'd spend a lot of mana uh, chaining spells that would maybe do a little bit of damage, but not really quickly kill your opponent, and I would flood out a lot. I realized that I could address that with Academy Wall, but that was making it even harder to kill my opponent and made me want to shift into an even more controlling position. So the natural evolution to that for me was to identify that I think that like red, green, and white, a lot of the cards are uh, geared toward being more aggressive. And if I just want to be like filtering my cards and playing interactive spells, blue-black was really the core that I wanted. So the other thing that I realized was that like in the blue-red decks, the way that I like the way I wanted my game to play was that I wanted to just kind of like cycle and answer my opponent's stuff and play a Tolarian Terror to win the game, rather than trying to play like an amplifier or something that I felt like just wasn't doing enough on its own. So that meant that I uh ended up yeah, just moving away from red and uh incorporating the like Tolarian Terror concept into blue black. So my first experiments with uh like removal and counter heavy blue black uh, I ran into the problem that I had like a lot of interaction but I would uh just like kill their things but there's so much card advantage in the format that after I killed my opponent's stuff they would end up having something or other left over and uh, I would flood out and lose to it and so what I realized was that I needed to prioritize the good threats more highly so that I could end the game and uh like kill my opponent before i flooded out so in particular at common that meant telerian terror and talus lookout became really high priorities for me uh the other thing is that i think that it's still important to have at least one or two cards like vohar and academy wall to avoid flooding out going long because i still want a lot of like cantrips and things that see extra cards and while it's easy to spend mana in this format it's also not that hard to flood out that led to a space where i still like essence scatter and extinguish the light and all the other like removal and stuff i just also want to make sure that i have some high impact cards that are going to end the game in a reasonable time frame to uh like not just die to some random tokens or whatever that I end up needing to clean up with removal spells. That's kind of my progression to figuring out why I uh, wanted to be blue-black. And then uh, once I was in blue-black, 
uh, what I needed to do to shore up some of the potential weaknesses there. So I don't expect to be straight blue-black most of the time. I think that you want to splash some cards. I think you primarily want to splash cheap single pip removal. So that would be like destroy evil and uh, lightning strike and potentially like tail swipe and maybe the uh, kicker um, green, the green uncommon naturalize that kicks to uh, exile anything. One thing about splashing cheap single pip cards in multiple colors is that crystal grotto does it really, really well. And so if you have a couple of crystal grottos, it's easy to splash like the kicker on Urborg Repossession and Destroy Evil and Lightning Strike. So I think you really want to prioritize Crystal Grotto in this deck. Also, the scrying is very valuable. And if you're like base blue-black and playing like some Impulses and Phyrexian Espionages and Shadow Prophecies, you're going to have good enough card selection that you're going to have pretty good mana. And a colorless scry land is actually just pretty good in your deck with the bonus that you don't actually like get totally screwed on your core colors and you can play all the um, splash kicker stuff. Destroy Evil is, I think, actually the best removal spell at common. I think that even as a splash, it is better than Extinguish the Light. Uh, because it's just so cheap and efficient, and the ability to destroy enchantments is pretty close to as good as the ability to kill small creatures. Probably slightly worse, but not like I want to pay twice as much mana worse. So uh, I prioritize destroy evil very, very highly. I'm happy to play multiples. And so I expect that white is my most likely splash for the kickers on Tolarian Geyser and protect the negotiators and destroy evil, and then potentially uh, assorted uncommons and rares. Red is the next most likely splash, and that's mostly just for lightning strike. At uncommon, you have battle him, and if you have micromancer, then I think it's good to splash flowstone infusion. But I would generally not be excited about splashing it without micromancer. So the top commons for me in this archetype, roughly in order, are Tolarian Geyser, destroy evil, extinguish the light, I think it's going to be hard to process just a quick list of card names. So I'm just going to say what they are quickly also. So Tolarian Geyser is the bound spell that you can kick to gain life and draws a card. Then Destroy Evil, which is the uh, kill a four toughness creature or an enchantment. Then Extinguish the Light, which is the four mana removal spell that gains life if it kills a small, a cheap creature. Then Essence Scatter. Then Tolarian Terror. Then Urborg Repossession. Then Talus Lookout. Tolarian Terror is the uh, Essence... <laughs> Lost the thread on Essence Scatter because I figure everyone knows what it is. Two mana counter a creature. Then Tolarian Terror is the seven mana five five uh, ward two that costs less for instance sorcerers in your graveyard. Urborg Repossession is the raised dead that gains two life and kicks to get another permanent back. Talus Lookout is the four mana three two flyer that lets you look at two cards and put one in your hand when it dies and the other in graveyard. Tribute to Urborg is the two mana minus two minus two that kicks to minus four instance sorcerers in your graveyard. Xerxian Espionage, the divination that kicks to make them discard a card. Those are kind of the like premium commons for me. Then the other commons that I'll usually play, and I think that basically like the premium commons, the, the gap in these two categories is most of the time I'll like think seriously about taking a land 
above the next group and below that group. So those, those are the cards that I generally am looking for more than a land. There's a lot of flexibility here depending on which lands, what I have already, what my deck needs, whether I'm like threat light or removal light, whether I feel good or bad about my mana situation, how far into the draft we are, all that. Next tier of commons that are, you know, interchangeable with lands, more replacement level. I expect to have enough of this kind of stuff. I'll probably end up cutting a few of these cards, but I'll play most of them. Lightning Strike, one on a red, three damage. Impulse, one on a blue, look at four cards, put one in your hand. Eerie Soul Tender, the 3-1 mill three that you can spend five mana to get a creature back from your graveyard to your hand when it's in your graveyard. Phyrexian Rager, two mana, three mana, two, two, uh, lose a life, draw a card when it enters. Soaring Drake, the 3-2 flyer for, or 2-3 flyer for three. Gibbering Barricade, the 2-4 defender that can sack a creature to gain a life and draw a card. Shadow Prophecy, the instant that looks at domain cards and puts two of them in your hand and the rest in your graveyard. And Academy Wall, the 0-5 that when you play a um, instant or sorcery. Those are the, I'm mostly looking to build my deck out of those commons and then uncommons and rares. They're not necessarily the only ones that I'll play, but those are the cards that are going to end up in my deck most often. If I see Wingmantle Chaplain, uh, everything else stays the same, but I'll try to pivot into a defender deck. I'll deprioritize other threats while still prioritizing removal, and uh, I'll try to get a wall package. If the wall package doesn't seem to be coming together, then I'll, you know, go back to prioritizing Slayer and Terrors and Talus Legates. If you don't have enough uh, like if it's, you know, you're getting halfway through the draft or so and you're low on threats and, you know, feel good about other places, it's not hard for uh, Tolarian Terror and Talus Lookouts to become your highest priorities. Uh, like if I knew for a fact that I was definitely drafting exactly this archetype, I might first pick first pack, take Tolarian Terror over Tolarian Geyser. But I don't when it's first pick, first pack, and I think Geyser is a more flexible card, so I would take Geyser over Tolarian Terror. But once I already have, like, the core of instants and sorceries in this deck that make Tolarian Terror better, I think that it's really important to have uh, Tolarian Terror-type cards, so if I don't already feel like my base is very well covered there, Tolarian Terror can move up to the top of my pick order in pack two pretty easily. Talus Lookout is not as good as Tolarian Terror, but uh, a totally acceptable backup plan to um, have a card that can try to end the game. Note that Impulse is really good mana fixing. The more you're splashing, the more you want to prioritize Impulse. Also, the more you have like uh, cards that care about instants in your graveyard, Impulse is very good at chaining instants to build up your graveyard. So Impulse can be a more or less significant priority depending on the composition of your deck. It's a good card. And then if you have a lot of like Impulse, Shadow Prophecy, Phyrexian, Espionage type cards, it's okay to have like pretty greedy slash bad looking mana because the best fixing is always just seeing more cards and Impulse is very, very good at seeing more cards. If you are missing a color, there's a good chance it'll be in the four cards you see with Impulse. And if not, you've gone much deeper toward uh, either like toward the thing that you're looking for. I really, really like Protect the Negotiators. I think it's a great card. It has very, very good stats in general and in like blue-white black decks, but it has very bad stats in blue-black decks. I think that, what's that what that's representing is that it's really only good if you either have a very high density of cheap creatures or if you have reliable early access to white mana. 
if you can't kick protect the negotiators and you don't have a lot of two drops it's not going to be active on like turn three and four which is when it's easiest for a soft counter a counter that counters unless your opponent spends some amount of mana to uh work and so you can end up in a spot where it's very rare that you'll actually be able to counter something with it anytime you counter something with protect the negotiators it's great and especially if you're on like a wing mantle chaplain deck then it becomes like the best card in late game because it's a cheap effective hard counter because you have all these birds from the chaplain i prioritize protect the negotiators but you want to be careful about prioritizing it if you're just barely touching white um you need to have like pretty good access to actual white mana uh to want it in your deck vohar is huge i think you really really want to uh prioritize vohar i think it makes your deck a lot better the filtering is really important as i mentioned and the Vohar synergy with Urborg repossession is really, really good. So prioritize Vohar, and if you don't have Vohar, then prioritize Academy Wall to like make up for not having the other looter. And that's basically what I know. Uh, I think that the big strength of this archetype is that you get to play cards like Essence Scatter, and your mana just like lets you have it up a lot more often because your deck is just a lot leaner and you have more instants and you have fewer tap lands. And I think it hurts you less to play cards like Phyrexian Rager that end up like being able to block okay, help buy some time against the aggressive decks. And, you know, just when you're not spending, when you don't have so much effective mana lost on tap lands and fixing, it hurts less to spend mana on like a relatively low impact cantrip creature. And I think that being able to do that is a pretty nice luxury. And the deck has pretty good access to like flyers. So you're less likely to lose in the air, more likely to win in the air and uses the removal and just kind of gets to play a lot of cards that I like and uh, make a lot of kind of like mana advantageous exchanges. So I've been pretty happy with this as long as you can find the right mix of like threats finisher type cards and uh interaction and filtering so uh, i recommend it i think this is a very strong archetype so i'm going to turn this over to twitch chat for questions anyone who has any questions as always uh enter them again now if i haven't covered it so i know that it's still something you want discussed and uh while i'm waiting for that i want to thank my newest patrons uh jamie matthew james Radafia and Nelson really, really appreciate all the love on uh, our Patreon. Um, for anyone else who's interested in joining them and supporting the podcast and checking out what we offer, uh, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. That uh, includes benefits for discounted coaching. So I've had some people reach out to me who have uh, like limited RCQs coming up. If you have anything like that and you'd like to some more focused help, you can reach out to me for coaching regardless of whether you are a patron or not, but you get some pretty good discounts on uh, the Patreon that can um, more than pay for the cost of uh, joining. So consider that. All right. Now, as for questions, would I ever consider negate in blue black if I didn't get enough threats and I'm low on a shore up slash graveyard recursion? Yes. I think that if I were trying to win the game with like 
Shieldred or some other really impactful uh, rare, and I was low on threat density, low on, and like really needed it to stay in play. I think it's acceptable to like play on a gate and accept that I'm, you know, potentially looking to set up some kind of like combo situation where I play my threat and protect it. I do think that it's correct to look at negate as when might it be okay to play this rather than a card that you generally want to play. But I, I could see spots where it's the thing to do. Next question, thoughts on Pixie Illusionist slash Combat Research decks in these color pairs. Definitely a very different direction. I don't really like Pixie Illusionist if you don't have non-grotto green mana to kick it. And I also think that it's usually not worth it if you're not like actively taking advantage of the fixing. I think the removal is generally a little strong for me to want to try to ride combat research as like a core game plan. I don't think that that like the archetype you're suggesting is a generally strong direction for this format. If I were to try to do it, I don't think I would super prioritize Phyrexian Illusionist rather than just like Soaring Drakes. And of course I would prioritize Shore Ups to try to protect the thing that I put the research on. Next up. When I try to draft this deck, I often find myself running out of ways to win and decking out suggestions to help mitigate that. I mean, that was kind of the whole premise of really identifying that I need to prioritize Tolarian Terror and Talus Lookout. Uh, also, Urborg Repossession. I think it's really just a matter of like careful play. Eerie Soul Tender can go both ways here. It mills you a lot, which can contribute to uh, decking, but it gets your best threats back. You can mitigate the it mills you a lot concern if you can discard it to Vohar or Academy Wall. So, I mean, my answer is prioritize the good threats, and if you haven't seen enough of them, then extra prioritize the recursion so that you can win with those good threats that you have. Next up, without Chaplains or Terrors, am I finding I need to splash for a win con? I've been having trouble closing with straight blue-black. Yeah, I mean, you can, I think, end up just leaning on uh, Talus Lookouts and Soaring Drakes, but, like, if you can't find any reasonable way to win in blue-black, then, yeah, you need to start looking at splashing. You can pl try playing, like, the 5-5 uh, Death Touch that gets cheaper for creatures. If that thing costs you 5 mana or something because you don't have a lot of creatures, it's still like an acceptable thing that can win a game eventually if you have like recursion but nothing big to get back, the Necromass. Alternatively, you might be in a spot where you want to splash like Sojourner or Mirror's Outrider as another way to like kill someone if you just can't find blue and black cards to do it. Next up, how do you feel about Jibbering Barricade or multiples of it? Are there any cards besides Chaplain that significantly change the odds of including it? Yes. So I like Barricade. I think that the 2-5 blocks really well. I think you need to be careful about having too much of that stuff because you do want to be able to pressure your opponent. Um, uh, I'm generally pretty happy to play the first one. There's a lot of like removal that nets your uh, card advantage for your opponent that Barricade can counter. As for things that make me prioritize it more, uh, anything that makes tokens. So most often for me, that's going to be like Protect the Negotiators. You know, like even a Phyrexian Rager or similar, just like, you know, that kind of card can make me want more of it. Uh, Soul Tender, I wouldn't mind sacrificing to a Barricade sometimes. So I, I'd say I'm pretty excited about the first Barricade, but not very excited about the second Barricade. So I don't take it very highly because it goes pretty late. And then I feel incidentally about pretty much the same way about Academy Wall. How high do you take Cutdown? I take Cutdown pretty highly. I think that 
it kills enough stuff and it pairs well with destroy evil as my other highly prioritized removal spell and i really like the extremely efficient mana exchange that it offers next i noticed that eerie soul tender moved down to the second tier of commons in blue black where i really prioritized them in green black can i comment on that a little uh yeah i think green black green black i was kind of even leaning more on herborg repossession and trying to like get a lot of soul tenders and repossessions to get to the point where I could like use my repossessions early. Here I feel like I'm looking to spend my mana on other things early and then like keeping repossession for like very very late to get my couple important threats back. And so the like mill part of soul tender is closer to a liability and less of an advantage and i'm more using soul tender for the part where i'm happy about it being in my graveyard whereas in green black i was like also happy about the etb next up would you play the hexproof trick in your blue black deck if i have two to three terrors yes i'll play the hexproof deck trick if i feel like i'm threat light in general and need to uh, protect the threats that I have. One thing I'm really curious about, I often find myself waffling between green-black axe and blue-black blue axe, and often ending up somewhere between the two. Do you have any tips for solidifying that lane? I think that when you're kind of in that space, you're probably more in the green-black mindset, I think. For me, it was basically just making a decision that I didn't want the green cards that kind of just like changed my mentality and solidified me in uh, blue black X, like just not prioritizing the vine walls and fixing from green. Of course, you know, if I were to start a draft with like an early weather seed treaty, then I would often, then I would probably just like go back to kind of the green black X mindset. But without, basically I think, when I was in the green-black X mindset, I would just be like, well, I'm probably going to be green for fixing, so I'll take this vine wall highly. And I think that where I'm at now is kind of not expecting that I'm going to end up in green and only going there if something really strong pushes me into green. Um, and then kind of like expecting that what I'm prioritizing is like card draw removal and premium blue finishers. And so to me, it was a matter of like, understanding where I wanted to end up more clearly that made it easier for me to figure out where I want wanted to be early. I'm not sure if the same thing would work for you. Next question, thoughts on uh, main deck discard, uh, pilfer and sabotage. I've never played either. Uh, I don't think that they're what I would be looking for in this archetype. I think Pilfer might be okay, particularly in a similar deck in Sealed, but I think the game goes too long and too many opponents end up empty-handed for those to seem appealing to me. Where, in general pick order, do you take pain lands like Attacar Wastes? Uh, pretty similar to other lands, but I like the other lands more than the pain lands. Do you like the Miasma effect in this deck? Are you willing to have any narrow but powerful cards given the amount of looting and some amount of value in the yard? Yeah, I think Miasma's fine if you're if it's like easy enough on your mana and your creatures don't then you don't have a lot of creatures that die to it. I don't think it's a huge priority, but it's like a solidish card. 
And I think that the idea of playing more narrow cards if you have a good amount of looting is a true thing to consider. So fine, but not a priority. Next, would you run Codex in this style of deck? I haven't. It's not a priority. If I felt like I had, if I was like high on efficient removal and low on Phyrexian Espionage, Shadow Prophecy type cards, I could see playing Codex. But I've often felt like by the time I would actually want to cast it, I would not want to activate it very many times before I started worrying about decking myself. So it ends up kind of being like the same as just having a couple of card draw spells. I've seen some aggro decks get under this deck with fast starts. Is the priority against aggro cheap removal or life gain? Uh, cheap removal. Like a, a cheap removal spell buys you way more life than any realistic life gain card in this format's going to buy you. Would you play the one mana wall that makes your walls attack if you're low on threats or even if you just have it? If and only if I have like a wall package. Like I think it's unlikely that I would play Bulwark if I didn't have a chaplain, but I guess I could consider it if I had like a barricade and two academy walls, since obviously it's best with academy wall. Between Phyrexian Espionage and Shadow Prophecy, uh, which do I choose over the other? Yeah, so the question here is largely, is it good to pay the life to be instant speed? And then how much do you value the extra selection versus the kicker? And I think that the answer is that I'm pretty concerned about paying the life at this point. Also, I worry late about Shadow Prophecy dumping too many cards in the graveyard sometimes. I like the extra plus one card, card advantage, kind of, on kicking espionage. So currently I'm higher on espionage than Shadow Prophecy, but I think if you have like a particularly high number of counter spells, you might switch it around. But I've mostly felt like they don't compete that much. Like I can just use my counter spells and then use the card draw, potentially taking a turn off of having a counter spell or whatever. Like I, I have enough other instants, I guess, that I feel like I can navigate the sorcery reasonably smoothly. Next question, has the way I draft green decks aside changed aside from moving it into, into it last? Little off topic, but no, not really, but that's mostly because I've kind of like not drafted green in a bit. I think that understanding that I want the control decks to not be green means that I think that next time I am drafting green, I'm more like... like if more of my control decks are ending up not green, then more of my green decks are going to end up more aggressive because like the drafts that I'm in that naturally want to be controlled just won't be green. And then the remaining times that I am green are more likely to be aggressive. And so I think that, and I, I also like, I do believe in the like um, Gaia's might uh, colossal growth, like, core for green i just haven't really done a lot with it myself so that's that's definitely something i'm looking to figure out at some point next up have i ever run rona she's felt like a trap card i have never played rona i don't think rona is very good i could imagine playing rona if i were really threat light rona does offer a certain kind of inevitability that i can see as being valuable like the card is not strong but what it does, does kind of attempt to fill an exact hole that this deck can have. Uh, I would much rather have, like, you know, a Talus Lookout or something. But when you get to that, like, 
late game state where you're just like, how do I kill my opponent? It's not hard to have like some extra lands to discard, and if you can like kill all their creatures, then Rona can technically heal someone. But I, I do think it's a weak card. Is it correct to say that it's difficult to switch from blue-black to other archetypes once you're already in it? So the biggest reason that it would be hard to switch is that Extinguish the Light is double black. I think that if you don't have Extinguish the Light, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, I'm blue X control, meaning I have a bunch of like cheap, I have like some cheap removal and geysers and uh, impulses and stuff like that base can easily switch into some kind of like more proactive Jeskai space, or uh, you can pivot into defenders if you get a chaplain. You can uh, potentially pivot into, you know, a stronger green base if you start seeing strong cards. So um, I think that, like, the fact that I'm prioritizing cards that are single pip and pretty versatile, I think makes it actually relatively easy to pivot. So no, I, I don't think this is a like deck that's difficult to pivot out of, relatively speaking. In general, is there a number of grottos I'd like in the deck? Uh, two or three, I think, is probably ideal most of the time here. Have you spoken to any other content creators regarding their evolutions in this format? Um, no, not directly, I haven't. All right, well, it's a little bit of a weird note to end on. Uh, maybe, maybe I should try to reach out and talk to some people. That sounds uh, potentially fun, maybe even on a stream at some point, um, or maybe being a guest on another podcast somewhere. But that's going to cover us for uh, Blue Black X for this week. As always, I'll be back next week with another archetype. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good week. And I will uh, decide at some point whether or not I feel comfortable enough with the format as a whole to open up to a poll or whether this set is just going to continue following my personal evolution as I learn single additional archetypes each week. That's it for now. Bye.